Welcome everybody to Future of Beauty Unfiltered episode 18. I cannot believe we are here. I say this every single time and yes, I'm going to continue saying it to Future of Beauty Unfiltered. I'm your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation. And today I've actually got a really, really exciting episode. I feel like I've got a friend. This is so nice when you get to meet friends in the industry, but I have the amazing Alice Langston, Marketing Manager of Quarterly Skincare for UK and Ireland on the phone. Hi, Alice. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me back. Yes, back. Key thing. First brand that's actually come back and is living to tell the tale one year on. Um, I'm going to go through and recap for everybody that isn't aware, but uh, Alice is a passionate ambassador for beauty and has worked on several international luxury and beauty brands. Her passion for skincare in particular actually stemmed from her own personal skin struggles. And if you guys want to hear more about that, we will be that is touched on the first episode we did almost a year ago now. Can't believe how much time flies. Um, but quarterly is actually another thing we're talking about today. So for anyone that lives under a rock and doesn't know who Cordley are, they are a French skincare company specialized in vinotherapy. Now it's known for its skincare products harnessing extracts from the grape and grapevine. The brand favors natural active ingredients that respect the environment and it is a global brand present in 27 countries with over 40 vinotherapy or boutique spas around the world. Um, now, Cordley has its own natural formation laboratory situated in France and works in partnership with Harvard Medical School and anti-aging guru Dr. David Sinclair to develop patents to combat skin aging. Over the last year, Cordley, particularly in the UK, has absolutely exploded. And this episode today is actually an opportunity to talk about quarterly one year on reflection on that success and that growth. So I'm going to go straight in with your first question and I'm really excited to talk about this. So quarterly has seen crazy amounts of growth. We've spoke about this so many times on and offline um, at a level that actually has even surpassed your own expectations. Um, what were the key factors in driving rapid growth, you know, from consumers to trends, retailers, whatever it was. And what challenges did you come across when you were experiencing that crazy growth over the last year? Thank you. Um, yeah, exactly to your point, we have this year over the last kind of six months seen really some rapid growth and really it's the business is thriving here in the UK. So yeah, super proud of that to start. Yeah, should be. Yeah, it's um, it's not you know it's not gone without hard work, and I think that with um, with Cordley being a European brand, true and true, it's obviously started out in France and has major success across the U Europe. But in the UK, it is, as we all know, a really challenging market. It's highly competitive, and it is really really difficult to get a bit of piece of the pie. And I think what we managed to do is really re realign our strategy massively in terms of the retail model and our sales model. And there's lots of different levers that you can play within the kind of UK space. And it's making sure that we are adapting ourselves to where people shop ultimately. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've been going for 25 years and the brand really does stand a test of time, but it's, you know, it's obviously trying to to compete with the really fun trend-led brands and also still service our real true loyal customers that have been with us for life so it's all been about 
identifying the right commercial strategy for quarterly and really kind of driving those trade plans with the retailers through it truly because that's where the majority of us go and actually buy our beauty so that's been the biggest kind of growth growth point for us is really really aligning our, our commercial strategy so mm. it's yeah i think last year was planting a lot of seeds building the right relationships getting good visibility with the retailers but ultimately as well growing brand awareness because if you don't have great brand awareness no one knows about you but, but if you have great brand awareness the sales follow so that truly is number one and um, ensuring that the infrastructure is right so when we do grow brand awareness that we've got great stock cover we've got a great experience in store on online and making sure that every touch point is really reflecting the kind of quality of quarterly so mm. yeah it's been it's been a lot of work and yeah it's, it's nice to see it coming to fruition now absolutely um when we spoke last year, one of the things that I thought was really refreshing was when you kind of openly said, you know, not everyone is going to be a quarterly customer. And actually, rather than this kind of aggressive race to the bottom, whether that's from price point, crazy sales or whatever, actually, you wanted to take your time and really establish the values and the things that quarterly could offer in the UK market. Has that changed at all? Do you still feel that way about your target audience? Totally. I think that if you are, you're, you're almost kidding yourself if you think that the world and its wife are all going to love quarterly for life. It just doesn't work that way. But what you do need to do is just truly identify who your customer is and also what you want to stand for mm -hmm. and not rush doing things because, you know, we've got our kind of recipe for success of who we are and our DNA. And we know that there's a true customer out there that will really respect and really enjoy our products for what they are. But it's, you know, we're never going to be massively price matching and really, you know, often being on sale. We know there's a lot of that in the UK. It's really competitive, very aggressive market. But, you know, it, I think it really does say something if you really try to like stand your ground and maintain who you are and don't, yeah, get kind of washed away with the rest of the noise. So it's, mm. yeah, it gives you just a bit more purpose to be yeah. authentic. Do you feel like, I mean, I know one of my biggest frustrations about the UK market is actually the constant devaluation, can't talk today, it's been a really long day, <laughs> the devaluing that happens when you sit there and start racing to the price at the bottom just to get your product in people's hands, you're taking away actually the consumer's ability at times to really appreciate what's gone into that product in the first place. Like you don't, people don't price things necessarily always there's exceptions to the rule. I'm going to caveat before I get loads of messages going, you're wrong. Um, you know, but we don't price it to be greedy. It costs what it costs. And the better the quality product, the better the innovation, the better everything else, the production, the cleaner, whatever it may be, that has an impact on the bottom line. And the margins that come in skincare are minimal anyway because the price of products have increased. So as soon as you start reducing the price, you're devaluing that brand in its own right. That's obviously been a really difficult thing in the UK market. Um, what advice would you kind of give yourself looking back on when we were sat on the sofas last year? What advice would you give yourself and decision makers now knowing what you know on how to make the most of fast, fast growth? You know, what to do, what to avoid? 
I think, um, I mean, I'd love to look back and have been able to tell myself to not stress and ultimately to back yourself. And I think, you know, as I said earlier, really hold tight into what, to what you believe, because as soon as you start to devalue and you feel that you need to discount or you need to price match against other brands, I mean, you really, you, you, you devalue, but you also lose credibility. And I think there's something to be said in standing your ground and knowing the true value and the worth of your product, because like you said, innovation and the, the level of quality of ingredients and the testing and the trials that we do i mean it all comes into what makes a really effective and sustainable product that customers do love and they will pay for good product so never lose that um and yeah def definitely back you know back myself but also really you know hang tight as a team and know that we do have something truly wonderful to offer that people will pay for mm. i think that you know Oh, no, I know this is very textbook, but also in terms of making mistakes, I mean, I think back when we were even a year ago or five years, you know, into my real early days of my career, it, all those mistakes that I've made are lessons. So mistakes are lessons ultimately and really holding out that whenever you go through a difficult project or, you know, something didn't quite work as well as you think that, you know, steer it into something positive and make sure that you don't make the mistake again or you're able to actually really enrich the projects and the strategies that you're creating because of the mistakes you've made. So everything was almost a bit of a lesson, particularly over the last year. Like I said, we planted seeds and we weren't, we were just trying to really weave our way into something that spoke true of quarterly, but really molded into the UK market. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, um, when we obviously caught up last week, one of the things that we were talking about was how on TikTok you had a couple of products go viral. But potentially, actually, I was quite surprised when you told me what the Alexa, the beauty Alexa, had gone viral for. Um, so, is it? Can you can you going to recap what actually happened with that product and where the consumers ended up wanting to use it? Yeah. So I think um, obviously it's any brand's dream of going viral on TikTok. And it's one of those things that you cannot predict. We have actually had a couple of viral products that we just didn't have great stock cover for because exactly to the point of the beauty elixir, it is a fantastic product. It's one of our best products that over indexes in the makeup category. We've got a lot of scope that we can do with it. Very sensorial, it's very visual, exactly why it went viral on TikTok. But it was one of those kind of real learner products that we were developing and creating that never was, you know, it was never really going to be a continuity skew that was going to be a, a big part of our business. Um, and it went viral and we almost didn't have the support, the stock, the, you know, everything in place to support it. So when a product goes viral, you've got every retailer banging at your door saying, I need more of this, I need more of this. And it's, sometimes almost impossible because you know the stocks maybe not on the right country or in the right place and you may have longer lead times because of you know warehousing particularly through covid so you've kind of yeah it was almost a shock to everyone but you've got to be just prepared to run with it and we've it's it that product went viral a few years ago and it has sustained within our top 10 mix of business since it's never left and what was it about it because obviously it wasn't designed to be a makeup setter was it no, no, it's yeah, it's it was more of a beauty mess. So the actual beauty elixir, it's it's full of essential oils and it's really great for pore refining. It gives you another kind of layer of um, kind of antioxidant antioxidants and vitamins, and it's just a real nice skin refresh. But what we've learned is a lot of the essential oils they've given real like pore refining properties, so they're perfect for 
in between your routine when you're doing your skincare, prepping your skin before makeup because it refines your pores, but also it sets your makeup after. So it's very multi-use, which I think for a lot of people is a massive trend. Everyone wants something that really does everything great to throw in your handbag when you just want to look you know that extra glow in the day and mm. it's become a real handbag essential so now we can see think oh why didn't we think so much so highly of the product at the time and it's now become yeah a, the bones of quarterly really i think sometimes your consumers actually tell you more about your products than what you'd originally created it for and um, so i used the the products you, that you kindly gave me um last time we met and i I left the house at five to seven this morning and it's now 20 past four in the afternoon and my makeup has not moved. So new magic product, literally gold. Um, but yeah, I, we were having a conversation actually earlier today just on how sometimes taking the time to listen to the consumers in the market you're in is one of the best things you can do. Um, you know, you've touched on actually giving yourself advice, knowing what you've learned over the year, and it would be to absolutely back yourself, which I think is always the number one piece of advice. But can we talk about the market a little bit? Because obviously the UK market in particular is so difficult, particularly skincare. Like every time I say it to anyone, you instantly get from the room going, oh, yes. It is such a saturated market. And so to cut through it and hold on to that kind of clout of the pharma side that is the brand, the clinical element. But also I always feel like with quarterly, there is a wellness piece to it. That it's, it is so sensorial. It smells completely different from, you know, like a CeraVe or a La Roche-Posay. Like, and so to hold on to that, but then in comparison to how you mentioned, like how successful it is in Europe, in comparison or even the US like what are the learnings over the last year on the different markets for quarterly I think yeah I mean I think we spoke about it when we met last week it's been obviously one of my my biggest roles is to be the guardian of the brand and almost understanding your oppositioning particularly in the UK as you said it is a near impossible task but when like quarterly I think you know, not, I'm going to really spin this into a positive because I've I've learned that it is now a positive. It has been very challenging for me to understand at where we fit and where we sit. I now think that we don't really sit anywhere in a particular pocket. And I now think that's a brilliant thing because it's our total USP. But exactly what you said, we've got a pharma brand history. We are born and bred in pharmacies in France and we are true and true effective and clinical. We do a lot of clinical trials and we absolutely champion the, the the testings that we do the clean ingredients that we do and we know that our products are effective so we're really pharma yet we are also super sensorial because we've got beautiful packaging we do a lot of you know um eventing lots of facials lots of you know adding value to the customer our in-store experience is phenomenal so then you're looking at the more prestige brands and it's like where do we feel like we are sitting with the you know within the market space but we are really we're really in a kind of hybrid place but i think that makes us really special so and, no, i agree yeah i used to think oh god you know it's let's pick a side let's pick a side but actually no 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 we yeah we're really in a, a real hybrid place so we've got championing that usp that we hold do you think it's about picking a side or actually is it about layering layering that communication because at different times people will have different needs 
you know, yeah. I I um I start I tried the um Charlotte Tilbury um collagen oil the other day for the first time and I was shocked about the smell. It was so sensorial and in comparison to all their other products I was like, "Whoa." And it kind of threw me from a, a consumer experience point of view because you get so used to and have expectations before you even use a product. You know, we, we've been having lots of discussions about products that jar in that experience. You know, the visual cues you get from a, a product, you know, I, I'm going to go broad examples here now. Let's say you buy a vitamin and it's a vitamin C. It would jar if the box or packaging wasn't yellow. As, or an orange as an example yeah. and it's the same with with skin you know you kind of these visual cues and I think what's really nice with quarterly it's still got that clinical feel but it's much much softer so I think that brand validation is really really there yeah. um you mentioned your um experiences in store can you tell me a bit more about that? I've actually never really kind of been to one of you slap me on the hand I know shame shame um, I've never been to one of your um, boutiques, but lots of people talk about it. What is that experience like? And do you think that's actually kind of influenced your success? Yeah, for sure. We, um, particularly within like a digital age and obviously, you know, online's flying, more and more people shop through website app than ever before. And I, obviously that, you know, heightened during COVID, it has definitely rebalanced, but we actually in a in quite a unique way we massively over index in stores and our boutiques because i think we've got a really great way of enticing the customers to come in and sit and speak to us trial and test and trial the products and ultimately with skincare i mean there are some people or particularly something's gone viral on tiktok that are happy to take a punt and try something and buy it online that they've never tried before but particularly when you have a higher price point product like some of our anti-aging anti ranges it's really really hard to impulse purchase on a web on online when you've never tried it so us being really visible and you know, really strong in a store space means that customers can sample a product and it really helps with our conversion. But we also have something called a skin scanner analysis. So all of our sales reps that represent us in, across the country have a portable skin scanner and it is super high tech. It is unbelievably visual. It will make you almost want to buy everything when you see your skin, but it essentially live on a screen looks at different things um, like your wrinkle depth, pigmentation, hydration levels. So that experience, it really gives our sales representatives a real opportunity to consult and advise, which and be skin specialists because that's what we are and really help to steer the customer to make the right decisions and feel like they are you know, authentically being given the right routine for their skin. So that has been a, a massive success and it, yeah, it really adds value to the customer experience. Do you have any, I'm curious, do you have any views on like the age demographic of people that like enjoy that kind of side of the experience the most? Yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely, I would say over indexes in a slightly older customer, I think. Really? I was expecting yeah. younger. I think unless you're really concerned, let's say you really have a true skin problem and you like actually have or... direct advice like acne, which again, you know, is why why then I think people, we, we then do really well in the likes of Boots because it's obviously a bit more pharma-led and it's a little bit more concern-led, you know, super prescriptive because, you know, we do have collections that really serve a, a purpose for all of all skin concerns. But I think as, you know, I do it myself often and a lot of time in stores. If you're young, you don't have a lot of time. You just want, you know, you almost know what you want. And 
I think we all, all don't want to speak to people as much as we used to in the day and age of the digital era. So it definitely is um, more popular with a slightly older customer who has more time and um, yeah, really wants the advice and really trusts the advice. That's really interesting because from what we've seen in our research, it's the opposite, which I find fascinating because when we've kind of spoken to Gen Z in particular, for them, it is a day out. It is a big piece of experience. So maybe actually that's part of where the pharma element and kind of the, the clout that comes with that comes into play. Yeah. Um, we spoke a little bit last time, and obviously you'd only been in the role kind of six months or so at that time, um, around the difference in behaviours with the UK and French in particular uh, consumer. Have you got any different views now? I think they're still very different for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we, yeah, I think in the UK we want value, we want more excitement. It's probably a lot more in terms of the shopping experience, it's much more dynamic. But I think in terms of the in terms of the shopping experience, it's still different. But in terms of values, I think we definitely align a lot more than we than we thought at the start with the the French customer because you know ultimately we know what we stand for and that's effective products that truly work that are clean and you know ethically sourced and sustainable and it is a true representative of mm. kind of the European market and it is starting to really trans translate really well in the UK market too now. So is that what you're trying to say is you think that the UK consumer is actually starting to act more like the European when it comes to what they're looking for. But forget the fact we're cheap. Okay, we all we all know we are. It's the first thing I say. I go, UK's great, but we're cheap. We totally. <laughs> where's the bog off? Where's the like? You know, penny sale. Yeah. Where is it? But from a what motivates us? Take money out of the equation. Would you say the things that are motivating us? We're kind of behaving more like the Europeans because I would I would say we are. I would definitely say people are starting to read the back of packets more um, and and kind of hold hold brands accountable to how effective those products are. I think we're becoming a, a lot less naive and a lot more informed. And I think that that is, we were definitely behind the times for mm. a considerable amount of time. And um, because I think that purchasing is a lot more considered in Europe than it was perhaps in the UK, I think we're a lot more transactional, maybe a little bit more like sheep and really take to, you know, I don't know, just being a lot less informed, but it's definitely changing because the consumer knows more than ever before. And I think I mentioned it last time, but you just have no way to hide. And now it means that when we're looking at our key messaging and the things that we really want to tell the customer, ultimately we want to say what the product does and the fact that it works, but there's a lot more considered mes messaging because we, you know, we can really speak about ingredients more because customers know the retinols and the, you know, it's, yeah. it's so much more, yeah, more educational. Go back to the retailers for a second. I'm really enjoying the retailer dialogue at the moment with brands because it's a real mixed bag. We, I've just had a, a conversation about kind of, um, so by the time this episode comes out, guys, the, the British Beauty Council episode will have aired. So there's no spoilers coming here apart from Alice that's on the call right now. But um, one of the things that I found interesting, we actually sat a mixture of manufacturers and brands in a room around inclusive packaging.
So one of the things I was saying was obviously um, we got a load of manufacturers and brands in a room and we were having the dialogue about what needs to change to actually make a difference in the market around accessible packaging for people that I know whatever it may be blind deaf mobility issues arthritis whatever um and I kind of was like whoa is it manufacturers is it brands and they kind of went hey what about the retailers and it really started a conversation and what I found fascinating is the retailer dynamic in the UK market is completely different to anywhere else in the world because of how much land shares or slice of the pie whatever terminology you want to use like boots have 40 percent of the market yeah so if you're not in a position where you can work in that space what do you do um and obviously you know quarterly is present in sephora um sephora came to the uk what was it 18 months ago now less than that maybe um and took the world and westfield in particular by storm i mean every time i've gone in there it's just crazy um but what's it what's it like in comparison from the uk to like europe or even actually the us because there's way more retailers out there yeah i think yeah i'm glad you touched on sephora because it's definitely shaken the industry up here hugely i mean i've noticed even since they came every retailer is having to be you know on their on the tips of their toes to make their their stores and their experiences more dynamic or offer different opportunities and really differentiate because Sephora is such a powerhouse and you know they've got one store at the moment they will have more and um, and I've definitely noticed that other retailers are having to really yeah deliver more and offer offer more to the customer but also to brands and what we can now do with them it's actually becoming more exciting because there's more opportunities and more fun campaigns than ever before so it's made our market yeah a bit more exciting and beauty is really a real buzz at the moment particularly skincare so yeah in terms of other countries i think i think we've mentioned it before but you obviously have your real prestige retail partners and particularly in France obviously some beautiful department stores but there are a lot more kind of makeup related and obviously a lot more fashion and kind of lifestyle but fragrance as well yeah fragrance is absolutely huge whereas you know people still truly like to this day will always buy their skincare in a pharmacy because it's it's pharmaceutical it it serves it solves a problem it serves a purpose it's very prescriptive and I think that that's where they then trust the most because it's you know it's within a pharmacy space so in Europe I it will I think it might start to shift because I think that they are a little bit behind on the digital spaces so our biggie retailers they don't have as much weight in Europe they're not as big on the you know online shopping front they're still very much in person so there's not massive big look fantastics and cop beauties they they do have distribution there but it's nothing like us so yeah the pharma brands are still going strong but it, it eventually will pick up and it will shift again in the us they are a bit more similar in their model to us we've got they've got you know big retail chains like ulta sephora etc so they um but because they're so mass and so wise they've got those big, big retailers, they have got the power to dis- distribute everywhere. So they almost get the total fl- footprint and you then have smaller boutiques and things that have got a bit more of a sensorial experience, but will never have the weight in the market to do the mass that they 
the big have. So, yeah, it's interesting. And you've really got to look at a, a real total new strategy for every every market because one size doesn't fit all. So. So I find Sephora really interesting because I've obviously walked the floor. Obviously, for anyone wondering why I sound like a weirdo, I've just had a complete coughing fit. And I had to pause the podcast for a second. Um, and I can't... Everyone loves Sephora. And I think it's one of those retailers that's done an amazing job at building its own brand awareness, mm-hmm. which is so hard to do. But I can't put my finger on when I've gone in what it is that makes it different apart from the product selection and range that's available i think the the selection of products that they have there is really amazing and i would definitely say that the mucup well in the one in westfield actually the skincare section's massive um and quarterly is over more towards the pharma section which I loved, but at the same time, it doesn't look farmer when it looks quite out of place when you look at it next to all of these other farmer brands, which I think is a great advantage yeah. um, and opportunity because I don't think people actually want to have something looking very clinical and harsh on their mantelpiece or, or side table or wherever. It's the same with menopause supplements. You know, you don't want things looking medicinal or medical. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's finding that balance between actually being effective and doing what it needs to do, but also kind of blending in with everything else within your stack. Because we all live in like this weird apothecary of different yeah. fragrances and lotions and potions. What do you think it is about Sephora that's a little bit magic? Because something's magic, but I can't put my finger on it. It is. It, I wish I could too, to be honest. But I think, you know, you shop with your eyes and I think you shop with experience. And there is such an atmosphere in there that the, I think as well in the UK, we've almost been like dying for Sephora for so long. And obviously they come with just, yeah, there's just an atmosphere that you almost can't put your finger on. and. I wish there was a better terminology for it, but it's it's true. But they do have an amazing, amazing um, assortment. They've obviously brought loads of brands over from the US that were not accessible before. They've got the right buzz, the the visual merchandising, the the beauty hub in the middle. It's yeah, it it just brings the fun, but it still feels yeah, really like still, but still a real serious shopping yeah. experience. And they they just do it so well. Yeah, and we're ready for it. I think. Do you think that it's had, because of that, that's kind of supported that kind of growth that Quarterly has seen over the last 12 months in the UK? I think it has, but I also think it's helped support the the, the success we're having with all our retailers, because I think it's made everyone up their game massively, even for us, you know, improving the quality, improving the experience, making sure that all of our touch points are proper, you know, pushing the boat out, being more dynamic. But it's, yeah, it's the, it's the case of all the retailers, because they've kind of come in and set a new standard so yeah it's shaken us all up a lot what do you think are um some of the key learnings that you've learned about the quarterly customer over the last year i think we've really learned that i mean obviously we can drill down a bit on data and look at really kind of where our mix of businesses and understand it where in terms of product ranges where we're seeing the most growth but 
we are still seeing, and I, I love this, really ma major growth within our kind of two anti-aging ranges, because as much as we have just mentioned Sephora, which is obviously the trend-led young TikTok shopper, which are incredibly unloyal, but make the brand fun, they make the brand cool, and we need those customers because they make us, you know, they give us a little spark, whereas we still really hold true to our slightly older, more anti-aging ranges, and they really make up a massive part of our business. So it still just shows that we have to really have to service and continue to add value to those loyal, routine-led um, customers that have been with us for life and not forget about them by getting washed up in the hype of TikTok. Mm. But we've also got our star project, the Vina Perfect Serum. It is, It literally bypasses any other product by by so much so we almost have I've learned to massively play to your strengths if you've got core products you've got hero, hero products yes okay we can introduce newness and build up a bit of excitement add things to our portfolio that we didn't have before but never forget your continuity skews because they really they serve a purpose and they work for a reason and the way to do it is you know we can evolve that we can improve the formulas and we can improve our messaging but you know the, those products stand a test of time and they always will so yeah. Do you think, um, I always find core products really interesting. Do you think that actually one of the things we need to think about is the add-ons that you can develop to support and enhance those core products rather than necessarily moving people away? Yeah, exactly. I think, so for example, for with the Vina Perfect Serum, as I've just mentioned, it's probably the product that everyone will know the most. This year we launched um, a Vina Perfect Brightening Eye Cream. So now with this one, it was it's the clinicals are amazing. The formula, like the Vina Perfect Serum, is all about pigmentation, reducing um, dark spots and um, dark circles, but it's got a really innovative new tips. So it's very sensorial when you put it on. But instead of us kind of almost going guns blazing to introduce this new product, we actually really steered and stung, stayed true to the Vino Perfect Serum. That was still the hero of the campaign, but introducing the newness as a bit of a, a new innovation and almost marketed them together as a bit of a powerhouse. So we know why, why the Vino Perfect product works so well, introduced the newness with the strength of keeping the core as it was. And the, one of the things that we really looked at was retargeting. So with obviously when you can start to be a bit more granular in how you want to market, particularly on digital platforms and communication. For email example, really looking at those true Vino Perfect Serum shoppers and retarget them to then make sure that they know that there's newness versus actually, um, you know, just throwing this new product out there. So it's, yeah, really looking at retargeting and introducing. It was it, it works super, super well. I'm happy, happy, happy to convert that people wanted to have the new product because they love the serum so much. What makes the serum so awesome? It's the clinicals. I mean, it's it's just the the the, the data and the all of the clinical trials and testing that we've done. Um, the effectiveness is what what makes it amazing because it truly does work. I don't know if anyone knows this, but the actual um, formula, obviously in true quality quarterly style, has extract of grape and the it's viniferin is the ingredient in it which is patented to quarterly and um, it actually comes from the grapevine sap, so the, the sap within the grapevine. And the reason why it became so popular is when the, the people were working on the vineyards in France and they were taking, you know, cutting back all of the stalks of the grapes, obviously getting vine sap on their hands. And they noticed there was a massive difference between where they were getting sunspots on their arm versus their hand, because obviously their hands are covered in the vine sap. 
so there was a massive difference. So they realized that actually vinifarin, which is in the, the vine sap, actually had, um, pig, you know, help reduce pigmentation. So it's a real true, beautiful story that now has been you know, trialed and tested. So it's, um, yeah, a really great authentic story that's at the heart of Quarterly. So I've got a couple more questions. My first one is Cordley, absolutely for me after we first spoke, I, I couldn't have imagined when we actually were sat there talking that we would be back here just over yeah. a year later with the level of growth that the business has seen. I mean, week on week, you guys have been seeing record breaking mm -hmm. growth in the UK, which is amazing, right? And hard work, grit, following through, hanging on to your seats, but What's next? Like with all of this learning, where where is it going? Like how's that? How's it? How can you keep this momentum up? Surely it's going to have to slow down at some point. I think that we, you know, ultimately we're starting to really build our infrastructure to support the growth. I mean, we can't run on the resources that we are um, internally staffing, investing um, to really make sure that we're supporting the growth to make sure it does sustain. Um, and then secondly, is actually having more, more clear strategy on actually what do we want to achieve? I mean, in terms of our potential within the UK, we are seeing great growth. Um, yeah, exhausted thinking about it, but we have only scratched the surface. I mean, it's, um, it's a $25 billion industry here. It, pounds, why am I so American? Um, you know, um, industry here. And um, so we've still got a, a long, long way to go. And particularly when we're looking at some of our competitors, we're aware of their positioning, you know, in the business, in the, in the retail businesses. So we, we know there's a lot more that we can do, um, but we obviously start, need to start thinking about those benchmarking points and those KPIs and looking at actually where do we want to see the growth? You know, do we need to continue to drive brand awareness? Do we need to continue plugging our media campaigns and reaching wider people? Do we need to look regionally? We very much are set in London at the moment because it's, our most accessible and large market but there's still so much of the UK that we've not covered um so yeah it's about really ensuring that we're now putting those strategic points in place that, that we've got realistic goals but you know in a really strategic way in a commercial way we need to look at everything commercially um because at the moment we're working very very to the wire you know we do things very ad hoc and that will that will eventually not serve us right mm. so we need to be looking at you know a three to five year growth plan for sure i mean one of the things that i'm noticing with a lot of the bigger skincare brands that have seen that success <clears throat> is this move to kind of the hybrid product um, charlotte tilbury had done it where they started off as makeup and they're moving into kind of these hybrid products moving into skincare you know uh, trini london same thing it's kind of looking at we're definitely starting to see in the uk there's these these category blends that are emerging so i definitely think there's still loads of opportunity to keep developing and keep evolving when you've got that really strong base and i think what's great about you guys is you've got such an amazing amazing story and an amazing starting point in the formulations that it's going to be really exciting to see where it goes next um a couple of other thoughts so We've spoke about potentially what's next. I think most brands are trying to stabilize at the moment, particularly when you've seen any brand that's had a crazy amount of growth. Um, in comparison to <clears throat> the structures that teams have in the other countries, 
from a marketing perspective, do you think we do it differently in the UK or do you think it's the same? So obviously it's all the same company, but the teams necessarily might not operate in the same way. Um, I think that we definitely, we, we are all very adapted to our markets. So, you know, some the functions are, they all exist. Um, one thing we don't, we rarely do in quarterly as well, we don't, we don't, we're not part of lots of agencies. Everything truly is all in-house. Um, so all of the different functions exist, but we will approach things totally differently. Um, but the one thing that we are all true to is our brand. Um, obviously, you know, I've mentioned earlier, the, the role of marketing is to be the guardian. So ensure, ensuring that the look and feel always stays the same. We all run to the same campaigns. Um, we do about three to four per year. They will always stay the same, but we localize and we adapt and we make mm. sure that it really fits our customer. We talk to our customer in the right way. We put our products in the right places. We animate, you know, to, to, to meet the local needs. So it's, yeah, the functions are the very much the same, but the actual execution could be very different. Mm, interesting. Okay, my one final question, because we always have this question and I've really loved hearing actually a lot of your learnings. I think it's really amazing to hear that. And it's not a surprise, I think, to be honest, that we're all becoming a bit more European or the UK's consumer's mindset is changing. Um, I think the experience side of what people are looking for is massive now because when you go shopping now, you know, before it was, I go in and get this, this and this and out and go, I go, whereas now it's a day thing. You go with family, it's more of an experience, you're open to trying new things. Based on everything that you've learned from consumers to the market, to retailers, what would the one piece of advice be now that you wouldn't have given us a year ago? I think I would say be more than the product. And, and I mean, that the reason I say that is because I think that you get so fix, fixated sometimes on this one project or this one campaign that you're focusing on, but actually it is the total 360 and it's the perception of the brand, it's the values of the brand, it's those USPs of the products, but you know, the total experience, like you just said, is absolutely invaluable and it's what makes you unique. There are many brands that do a great moisturizer. There's many brands that do a great serum. We have our USPs and that's great, but why do people keep coming back to quarterly? Is it because the results are fantastic? Yes, I hope so. That should be our number one, but you know, be more than that and give the, the give the customer more, add the value to the customer. Um, so yeah, be more than the, be more than the product. That's actually really brilliant. It's one of the, um, I think about that all the time. So it's finding that balance. Speaking of being more than the product, how's it all going from a st sustainability point of view? Still doing good for the planet? Absolutely. We, um, not to give too much away, but we've got more refills coming and we are constantly trying to drive our sustainability initiatives. They are bigger and better than ever. Um, you know, we've just got a new sun care range out at the moment called Vino Sun. It is doing so well and it's honestly beautiful. And um, it is within, within this, we're actually really able to talk about our 100% plastic collect initiative, which is where as a business, we go to collect the same amount of plastic that we use. We collect it from beaches and the, all the plastic that we collect on beaches is actually then reused in, in infrastructure. So it's kind of made into pellets and it's given back to local communities to make, you know, for construction and things. So we are really always looking at how we can bring in new initiatives, 
grow the current initiatives that we have and also tell the customer that we do that because you know sometimes it can be the cherry on the cake that if you know you're you love a product you love the brand but also it does does good for the environment it's a real you know growing added extra amazing well thank you so much for your time it's been so um just cathartic to walk down memory lane and kind of recap all the things we spoke about and it sounds like a lot's changed but actually a lot of things haven't changed and staying true to kind of yourself your brand your target audience has really had a positive impact on quarterly within the uk market so thank you so much again um guys we really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast any questions please drop a message to podcast at the pull and we'll see you next time take care Bye.